For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to Luke Law, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. I recently nipped over to Blackpool to catch up with an old friend, and this led to my usual favourite pastime when I'm travelling anywhere in the UK. Folklore hunting. Sadly, Blackpool's alien UFO and paranormal exhibition was closed when I was over, but that just gives me a reason to go back sooner rather than later. I grabbed a couple of books while I was over there, and very happily have circled around to some extra research to bring us Tales from Blackpool, the most popular resort in the country since the 1800s, and according to some, it's most haunted. A haunted icon. I'm not sure how much international appeal Blackpool has, it being somewhat subdued to compare to more modern tourist resorts that are built up worldwide. It's no Disneyland, for example. The majority of Blackpool proper is a northern English town that could do with some major investments in it, the only real distinguishing feature being that it has a lot more arcades than you would expect to see in a general town or city. The main draw is the coastal road, which is jam-packed with tourist attractions and having multiple piers filled with things to see and do. There's one thing a Brit is most likely to think of first when you mention Blackpool, however, and that is Blackpool Tower. The tower has a storied history. Based on the Eiffel Tower in Paris, while it never reached the heights of the original, when it was opened to the public in 1894 it held the honour of being the tallest man-made structure in the British Empire. A mere 158 metres, or 518 feet, compared to the Eiffel Tower's 330 metres, or 1,083 feet, it's still pretty bloody tall. I don't much fancy the walk of faith glass panels you can walk over at the top of it. It currently hangs in there at the world's 125th tallest freestanding tower. What most people simply call Blackpool Tower refers to all the tower buildings, a complex that includes the tower itself, the tower circus, the tower ballrooms, roof gardens, what used to be jungle gyms, a big activity play area for children but is now a giant bar called the fifth floor, plus a newer dungeon attraction that opened in 2011, part of a countrywide chain of macabre dungeon attractions that are generally pretty awesome, so I should definitely pop over again soon. From its opening on the 14th of May 1894, it has had pretty much uninterrupted public service as a tourist destination. For World War II, the top was repurposed as a radar tower for the RAF, although that was apparently a failed project, and it has also been a little bit on fire at intervals across the years. For its first 30 years, no one thought to paint it properly or otherwise preserve the structure. A bad idea generally, but a terrible lack of forward thinking on a coastline. 
There was some discussion of just demolishing the whole mess, but it was instead rebuilt in stages from 1920 to 1924. That exceptionally will take now as the tower being thoroughly painted in a seven year cycle so it never has to happen again. While it's never stopped being a tourist attraction, it's also very much a historical landmark, getting designated a grade one listed building in 1973, which gets us to the good stuff. What ghosts and other assorted spooky weirdness infests the place? Putting aside the obvious terror of the circus, which is where the clowns are contained, the ballroom especially seems to be haunted if going ghost hunting is on your Blackpool to-do list. There are multiple spectres that are pretty vividly visible up until the point they fade without a trace. The gallery has a well-known lady haunting it, who doesn't seem to do too much apart from sit watching the floor below. This can happen at times the ballroom is empty, or when there's actually something to watch. This particular haunt seems to be some sort of out-of-time afterimage of a person. There are multiple stories of being able to see the lady in the gallery from anywhere in the ballroom when she appears, but if you watch her for long enough, or else are bold enough to try and approach her, she will disappear. The lady isn't the only curious out-of-time style phenomena at the ballroom. There's also an old couple who just like to dance. They can be spotted sat at a table like any other customer, lifelike enough that staff have tried talking to them and brought them cups of tea, just minding their own business. Eventually they will stand up, the old man leading his partner to the floor, and they will join in with whatever show is on that day, only as they dance they will then fade away. The lady and the dancing couple just seem to be joining in as they once did in life. There are other, more active spirits that play merry hell with the staff at the tower. There's a story of two members of staff closing up for the night who were just doing their usual rounds. The lights were dimmed, and there was no one but them in the building as they locked up. Or, at least, there shouldn't have been anyone else. One member of staff was on the ballroom floor, one was elsewhere in the tower buildings, and as the first member of staff crossed the ballroom floor, they looked up into the balconies only to notice a dark figure walking along up there. They radio their co-worker, asking if it was them wandering about. The reply is surprise, there's an intruder in the ballroom. They both run to catch whoever is lurking around after hours, shouts to stop are ignored, and the two members of staff nearly get them. They both turn a corner to spot the shadow ahead of them walk through a door. Let me emphasize what happened. They walk through a door without opening it. The staff charge to follow them out only to collide with a locked door. Whatever was in there that has now left did the impossible. There's a chance this same apparition has been seen by confused guests over the years too, preceded by rapid drops in temperature. If a customer looks around to see what caused the draft, they can see a dark shadowy figure passing by. Should they follow, they can see this figure walk through a door without bothering to open it first. I mean, I say there's a chance it's the same apparition, there's a much worse alternative that's lots of them lurking around the place. If you want a chance at experiencing these hauntings for yourself, I have a fun suggestion. While there are plenty of big events there, and even specific ghost hunting nights, the ballroom hosts family-friendly Halloween events. Round up some ankle-biting relatives, dress up, and go have fun in style, all while keeping one eye out on the gallery for an extra spooky guest. The Ghost of the Ghost Train Quick aside, are ghost trains more of a British thing? No trains that are haunted, that seems to be worryingly common worldwide, but the little roller coasters through a novelty haunted house. While researching the topic, I managed to confuse myself quite a lot in the process, I have seen the product designation Tracked Dark Ride, although that didn't clarify much for me, not least of all because a dark ride doesn't have to be a spooky theme. This is one of those things I've taken for granted from childhood that now, as I try to look into it in more detail, it seems kind of weird. 
I know one was in an old episode of The Simpsons, so they are out there. International listeners, please let me know how common they are for you. Is it just the name that is different? The US has plenty of spooky thrill rides such as Disney's The Haunted Mansion, which takes you around on doom buggies, but Ghost Train is synonymous for this style of ride in the UK. It's like calling a vacuum cleaner a Hoover after the best known brand. A British Ghost Train funfair attraction is technically a roller coaster, but usually not a white knuckle ride. Slow for the most part, they're just taking you around the spooky displays, with some exceptions where they will speed up for dramatic effect. There are travelling fur ghost trains, usually bigger attractions that can take up a big chunk of space, and there are also fixed attractions at various tourist spots around the country. Blackpool Pleasure Beach is one of the most famous amusement parks in the country, if not the world, and the ghost train there boasts a unique feature. The novelty haunted ride has an actual ghost within its dark confines. A little more history first. I rambled a little about the actual concept of a ghost train, and do you want to guess where the first ever in the world was built, originally the name for that type of ride? That would be the Blackpool Pleasure Beach Ghost Train, which first opened in 1930. It only took six years for its first redesign, and its last complete rebuild was in 1957, but we're not that far off the 100 year anniversary of the first ghost train. It was originally a pretzel ride brought over from the United States, a single track dark ride which had a fair chance of being ghost or devil themed. But given that it wasn't a brand the British tourists would recognise, it got the simple and now iconic rebranding as The Ghost Train, the name of a popular theatre show around the time. This is something which has even travelled back across the Atlantic to in turn get pretzel rides such as the one at Lagoon Amusement Park in Utah's 1940s pretzel ride installation named after the Blackpool attraction. This is a weird topic for me to unpack, I know what a ghost train is at a gut level. To actually deconstruct what it is feels a little awkward. They are usually decorated in luminescent paints, then lit with black lights so they're pitch black dark with glowing attractions. A series of scenes line the ride based on horror story tropes, or else specific movie pastiches, frequently not having an official license. When there are actual lights, it's usually for a strobe light effect to disorient people on the ride, or to light up a surprise set piece. Hot or cold air can be blasted, attractions can move, mirrors can be used creatively, staff may get involved, whether by design or out of boredom, and creative use of sound is a huge part of the experience. Nothing like a cackling witch blasted from a speaker down your ear to keep your nerves frayed as you ricochet about in the dark. Which is all the fun normal scares, and in what should be a surprise to no one, I absolutely love ghost trains. The first and oldest ghost train has more history than just a conventional, however, and that brings us to Cloggy. I don't have Cloggy's original name, only that he was called this due to his love of wearing clogs and the distinctive sound they would make as he walked. Details remain light about the man himself, more with a sense of him living on. He absolutely loved his job. Fighting for high customer standards at a time when there was little in the way of government legislation, he was especially fond of the ghost train, and he would go out of his way to make it as spooky and thrilling for people riding it as possible. This leaves us with the ghost of Cloggy being someone who stuck around after their end out of a love for their job, not being related to unfinished business or a malevolent force. Not that this makes Cloggy any less terrifying for those he takes a hand in startling. That is, after all, part of the job. In general, the unmistakable footsteps of Cloggy can be heard by guests or staff as he does his rounds checking the ghost train. Staff who know of the stories will dare each other to go into the dark ride after hours. Tales of such dares tend to end in people fleeing the loud footfalls of Cloggy stomping over to see who's breaking in at night. He's even something of a guardian angel to workmen who for several generations now swear there's someone or something watching over them when they do maintenance work or renovations. 
What really gets to people are times he decides to be an extra authentic part of the attraction. Some of it is innocuous enough, the odd push on the car or tap on the shoulder in places where there are no special effects set up to do this, things that people wouldn't even realise aren't a part of the ride for the most part. Then there's the real special treatment. There's a story of a husband and wife who have been enjoying the park one day out. The wife loves the white knuckle rides, has been enjoying all the regular roller coasters on offer, but while an adrenaline junkie, she wasn't one for horror based scares. Her husband, partly driven by sheer mischief, kept pushing for her to take the ghost train. She eventually gives in, and they give the spooky ride a go. Everything was fine until one of the sudden bends in the track, where a rapid strobe light began along with a cacophony of screams being blasted from the speakers. This wasn't so bad in itself, but the wife saw the figure of a man on the tracks ahead of them. With every flash of light, he was only getting closer and closer. The wife expected this to be part of the attraction and the car would either pivot away, or else the creepy figure would be revealed to be a prop that got pulled away at the last moment. Only neither thing happened. The shadowy apparition only got closer and closer with each flash of light until the car should have hit them, only they vanished right before contact was made. When the ride ended, the wife complained to the husband about how the ride was fine except for that one part where a looming figure came for them in the strobe lighting. Only he hadn't seen the figure in there. It had only appeared to the wife. Which was poor form, Cloggy. You should have scared the husband. I really like the story of Cloggy. It's a bonus bit of fun to think that someone loved their job so much they hung around in the hereafter to keep their ghost train both as safe and as scary as possible. It's also interesting to speculate just how active Cloggy may be. How many people will recognise they received a tap on the shoulder somewhere there are no active props on the ride designed to thrill with scares? He could just be there all the time, and people aren't even noticing. The Bells Beneath the Waves Coastlines can be funny things. Human settlements are extremely common on them. There's the obvious convenience of travel by sea, plus you can find the river delta and get even more value out of fresh water and access to the inland. Only the coastline isn't always going to be consistent over time, which can lead to the phenomenon of smaller settlements being straight up swallowed by the shifting tides. Wales is what springs to mind first for villages lost beneath the waves, but over a long enough span of time it gets worryingly common. This could just be a consequence of what is ultimately a rather small collection of islands. One such village is right off the coast of Blackpool, the lost village of Kilgrimmel. As a best estimate, Kilgrimmel was near what is now Blackpool Airport, being a halfway point between the smaller Blackpool of the past before it truly began to expand, and Latham St Anne's. There's not much in the way of physical traces of it today. It's on old maps, as well as Latham St Anne's having several streets and landmarks named after Kilgrimmel. It's just kind of gone now, and it vanished before the modern era so no photographs are handy. Records up to the 16th century mention the village, then at some point towards the end of the 1500s there are no further mentions except for some county parish border disputes being frustrated the landmark was gone. I've seen some theories that shifting sand dunes may have swallowed up some of the vanishing village of the British shorelines, but as a disturbing detail suggests that Kilgrimmel truly was lost beneath the waves. The village had a church with an attendant graveyard, and when the sea was particularly rough, it had a habit of spitting out the coffins of the poor souls interred at Kilgrimmel. Driftwood from former coffins and rotten bones were reported to have been churned up for up to 50 years after the border disputes complained the village had vanished beneath the waves were made. It appears as though there was a tsunami around 1554 that could account for multiple vanishing villages, the coastline at the time being heavily forested and extending an extra two miles out in certain places. Until, suddenly, it didn't. Low enough tides can even reveal evidence of the buried forests. The ocean spitting corpses out at intervals is bad enough, 
but sadly normal for the nightmare corpse sooth that is the sea. There's also some weirder stories. The bells of the lost chapel can still be heard from beneath the waves, peeling forth on moonless nights and at New Year's Eve. There are also stories of the long-lost villagers singing sea shanties, should you be unfortunately close enough to the drowned village at the wrong time. Something that seems a little unfair, since people aren't quite sure where the evidently cursed patch of ground is now submerged. There have been assorted walls and cobblestone paths discovered by scuba divers when the sands are just right, but that isn't necessarily going to find Kilgrimol. There were a total of 12 villages lost along the west coast of Britain around the same time between Carlisle and Southport, Singleton Fort being another one near Blackpool. You'll just have to search for the location of Kilgrimol using traditional methods, following the ringing church bell and songs of the damned until you're right above the spectral noises. Then use the what free words app or something if you survive the experience. A trip to the pub. We're kind of at the natural end point for an episode already. The extra history seems to have filled one of the usual four topics in its own right, but I love finding a haunted pub to talk about when I do a Britain's most haunted topic. It's quintessentially British, both popping over to a pub and then finding out it was a ghost story or two to its name. Traditional British pubs come with incredible history, even though it's unassuming tends to have some outstanding tales of warfare or misdeeds that have crossed their thresholds as you go far enough back in time. The local drinking spot in a given place could be centuries old, and will inevitably have seen some things, which leads us to Frenchman's Cove on South King Street. Frenchman's Cove has only been a bar restaurant since the 90s, so it doesn't seem to fit the usual pattern of an old pub with too much history, but it was renovated from a longer standing tobacco warehouse. As it was renovated from the novelty tourist spot of a pirate looking down from an upper story balcony, workmen regularly complained of feeling like they were being watched. Open to the public, it started to have a very specific haunting. Doors in the ladies' toilets have a nasty habit of opening and closing themselves. It's not exactly an uncommon occurrence either, with plenty of stories of startled customers getting a nasty surprise when they're alone in there late at night. The current owner believes he has found archive material that names the resident spook. One Laura Schoons, who originally came from Scarborough. The ladies' toilets are at least easy to flee from, although please do wash your hands if you can. Staff, unfortunately, also feel uneasy down in the cellar, and are stuck constantly popping down there for work. Seems like the food in the venue is fun, though. Anyone who does visit, let me know if you get spooked or not. That's all for Blackpool for now. I say for now, it's pretty haunted at a glance, so we may turn our gaze back that way before too long. I need to head over to go to Ghost Train if nothing else, and I can't challenge others to check out Frenchman's Cove without going myself. Luke Law is a Ghost Story Guys production. If you do want to contact me, there's a show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Both myself and the main show are really easy to find on Facebook and Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. If you want to support the show directly, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We do have Luke Law merchandise available at the Ghost Story Guys online store. Feel very free to show off any you get online. Just recently we began a big push to promote Luke Law more, and the dedicated Facebook group for the show is now live if you want to come join us over there. As ever though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who might be interested, leave a review if you get the chance to help signal boost me, and most of all I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>